Okay, good evening and welcome back to Kingdom 101. We're going to be praying first and then we'll get into this evening's teaching. Father, we want to thank you once more, Lord, for gathering us and assembling us once more as your people. Lord, we want to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, will you come and speak to us? And above all things, we want Jesus to be glorified. And Lord, especially in a teaching like this, Lord, let us not miss the point, but truly, Lord, to know what the kingdom of God is all about and how we can live it and be a blessing to the people around us. And so we thank you, we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it good to be lawful? Yes. Nothing wrong with being lawful. But what if in being lawful, things become awful? Or even worse, what if you become awful as you are trying to be lawful? Is it then lawful to be lawful if it's awful? I just wanted to get your attention. I think we better read the text. Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. This evening, the text is Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. But I also want you to note the parallel passages in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, as well as Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. And I'm raising this because the other two Gospels provide other details where we can put together and frame a more complete picture for us to understand this episode or this account. So let's review the context after we have read the text. We have read from Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 to 14, but you know it didn't start there. You've got to back up a little bit and... For it to be meaningful, you must start from chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And there Jesus said, come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. We see an open invitation. And he did not mince his words. He's saying, look, learn from me, don't learn from the others. Why? Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But they have been putting so much on you, but if you come to me, you're going to get rest. So here you have an open invitation. And then Matthew continues in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, and that's what we covered in the previous teaching, missing the point. What we saw was a confrontation following an open invitation. Here the disciples go through the fields with Jesus, they pluck some grain, and there you go, the Pharisees appear. Ta-da! Suddenly they're there. Don't know how. How did they sneak up on Jesus and his gang? But they confront Jesus and the disciples. And in the teaching, missing the point of the entire Sabbath, to the Pharisees, the law of the Sabbath became rules, restrictions, a whole bunch of religiosity, behavior. Jesus, to him, the spirit of the Sabbath is rest, redemption, and if you study the Sabbath years, 
it is uh, always an opportunity for a reset, a starting again. The Pharisees challenged Jesus about his understanding of the law, and Jesus in turn challenged the understanding of that one phrase from Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then we come to this passage, Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. First, you have an open invitation, then there's an open confrontation, and then Jesus here now in this section openly demonstrates, in case you still don't get it, let me show this to you. This is what the Spirit of the law is all about. And so don't just take this passage out of its context. You've got to see this as an entire picture so that you understand why the Pharisees acted as they did and why Jesus responded as He did. I hope this is helpful and useful to you. If you have not heard the previous teaching, Missing the Point, we covered a lot about the Sabbath. We taught about the Sabbath. And I would strongly encourage you to review that, to learn that once more, so that you understand what the spirit of the Sabbath is, the spirit of the law, not to interpret this passage with your own understanding of what Sabbath is or may not be. Okay? And so let's set the scene. Let's observe a few things from this one passage tonight. First, we look at the when. When did this happen? And the verse says, now when he had departed from there. If you are reading Matthew, then of course we know that Matthew had just shared with his readers that they went through the fields plucking grain, when? On a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath. And so he arranges the material to flow from the previous account. You read that way, you know it's still the Sabbath. But if you compare Luke chapter 6, verse 6, Luke records it to say, now it happened on another Sabbath. Meaning to say it's not the same Sabbath, it is another Sabbath. I don't know, is it one week later, two weeks later, or three weeks later? All I'm saying to all of you is this. Either way, don't miss the point. It's not which Sabbath that we're interested in. We're just interested that it's the Sabbath. Okay? So don't go into this text and suddenly get all confused, you know, oh, you know, Matthew is not harmonizing with Luke, Luke is not harmonizing. and then you get all tripped up on all this. It doesn't matter at all. The writers arrange their material for a theological point and a teaching point. So the first question, when did it happen? It happened on a Sabbath. Now, where did it happen? Well, very clearly, he went into their synagogue. And so the place of this demonstration following the confrontation is no longer the grain fields, it is now the synagogue. Now, if you think of the synagogue, I suppose the closest example we have today would be think of church service that you go to every week, whether is it a Saturday or whether is it a Sunday. But for them, the Sabbath is sundown Friday evening all the way through to Saturday evening. But they do not just go to the synagogue only on the Sabbath. They also go to the synagogue on the second, the fifth day, and of course, on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. Now, typically, the pattern or the order of worship in the synagogue service as laid out by the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition. It goes something like that. You open with a confession of faith. They probably might, they might recite the Shema, which is, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, uh, followed by a prayer. And they have got different prayer patterns that they can follow and they can read and they can pray that. And then a scripture reading, Obviously, in Hebrew, they'll read from the text. And then they will give an interpretation in either Aramaic 
or Greek because in that time, that was their language at the moment. Now, following that would be an address. And this would be like a sermon that we are used to or a word of exhortation. By whom? By a rabbi or a visiting speaker. Now, this is where we know in Luke chapter 6, it says he entered, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. So guess what? Jesus is the guest speaker. <laughs> he was the guest speaker that day. Right? He's the one that after the scripture reading, he would bring a word of exhortation and we are not told what he taught, what was the scripture passage there. Well, we're just told that he was there and he's honored enough to be respected as a teacher of sorts to give something. And then after that, they end with a benediction, which is the blessing. Okay, so this is what happens typically in a synagogue. Now we ask the question, who? And it's not just the Pharisees, it's not just Jesus. The text then tells us, behold, you know, they go into the synagogue, behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And I, I like the way Matthew records this. It's like he's drawing attention or pulling our attention to this man. It's like, behold, whoa, check this out. <laughs> There's this guy here and he just happens to have a withered hand. Wow, oh, what do you know? Look who's here. Didn't expect to see you here at Sabbath service, you know. And it's, Matthew draws attention to this person. And we have to ask a few questions here. This guy, was he a regular member? Or did he just happen to drop in that day, you know, just visiting, you know, uh, happened to be there? Or as we look through this whole text, could it be that he might have been a planted guy? Someone who was invited specifically so that he will be there. Was this just another Sabbath service, any old Sabbath? Or was it a setup? Now, I want to pique your interest and I want you to stay with me because we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Then the next verse, so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, of course, who are the they? This would be the scribes and the Pharisees, and Matthew says, Behold, there's this man. Oh, this just happens to be this guy. What do you know? There's this guy with a withered hand. And then the Pharisees are now watching Jesus very, very, very closely. And so I'm asking this little question as I'm reading the text, as I was preparing this. Were they keeping watch or were they keeping the Sabbath? Which one was it? Were they worshipping or were they watching? Suddenly, there's this man with a withered hand and they're no longer worshipping and paying attention, but they were wondering what Jesus would do in this situation. What was their focus? Was it adoration of God, which is what Sabbath should be, or were they bent on accusation of Jesus? And before you laugh at them and you point a finger at them, sometimes you are guilty of this also, isn't it? Huh? Instead of worshipping the Lord and being in His presence, we observe anything and everything in the service. Aircon is too cold, uh, chairs are arranged not in a straight line. You know, the worship team is singing too long. The pastor is preaching. Okay, I won't go there. <laughs> so were they worshipping or were they watching? See, I, I, I want you to, to just ponder for a moment because we're talking about the Sabbath, right? What's the spirit of the Sabbath? What's the Sabbath all about? And then we go on and we realize, hey, since Jesus is the speaker and he's given a word of exhortation, why don't we ask him a question? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Hashtag just wondering. 
Just wondering. I mean, since you are the speaker, you know, and you've, you've said so much about the Sabbath, you claim to know so much more, you've invited everyone to follow you, you know, so let's, let's ask you this question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, you and I know that the objective was not to get the point to learn or to understand. They were not there to get the point. They were there to prove a point. Because the text tells us that they wanted to accuse Jesus. And up until this point, Jesus had done nothing yet. Now don't forget, huh? there's a man sitting down there with a withered hand. Now Jesus' track record is something like that, right? He sees someone sick, it's like he cannot bear, he must go to this person and he has got to heal this guy. And all the Pharisees were there and I think perchance maybe, maybe like, this guy was planted there on a Sabbath. And let's see what Jesus would do. And even if he was not planted there, I mean, that was really good, right? This, this person down here now, what would Jesus do? And up under this point, all the way through that synagogue service, Jesus had done nothing. Maybe he needs a little bit of encouragement. Maybe he needs to be provoked a little bit. And all they wanted to do was, let's just ask him, to, I cannot take it anymore. Let's ask the question. And if you would just react, if you just answer in the wrong way, we can find fault with him and we can discredit him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is the big question that we want to consider. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? According to Jewish teaching, healing was permitted on the Sabbath. But, only if the situation was life-threatening. If the patient was dying, if it's at any risk of this person's life you know, being snuffed out, then, okay, you can heal. Now, how did they come to this kind of a consensus or an interpretation? Let's understand the background a little bit. Do you remember that when they came back from the exile, they realized their mistake of not keeping the Sabbath? So when they returned to the land, Sabbath-keeping became extremely strict. And they held on to it so strongly. And it went all the way through with all the interpretations, with all the fencing, so that you'll protect someone from breaking the law, from not keeping the Sabbath. Now, it went all the way through into the times called the Maccabean times. If you understand the Maccabees, those were the Years, we call it the intertestamental period. That means after the last book of the Old Testament, after it closed, and before the beginning of the first book of the New Testament, there was a time period of about 400 years. We call it the intertestamental period. Before the times of Jesus, you have the times of the, we call it the Maccabean times. We are told, as recorded, that there were 1,000 observant Jews. They were attacked by the Macedonians. When? Which day? On Sabbath. And because they kept it so strictly, they said, on the Sabbath, we cannot work. We will not fight. And guess what happened if you don't fight and when the enemies attack you? They did not defend themselves. All died. Men, women, children. And so the leader at that point in time, his name is Mattathias, he then decreed that after that, the Jews... You can defend yourself on the Sabbath. If not, it doesn't make sense. All the enemies have to do is just attack you on the Sabbath. And every time they come on the Sabbath, you'll just die. 
So it is okay to preserve life on the Sabbath. When it comes to life, if it threatens life, it's okay. You can do something, you can heal, you can save a life on the Sabbath. And so he developed from there healing, medical work on Sabbath, even up to today, it is allowed because it is about life. We will say, well, it's a very practical reason, right? And we can all agree with it. Everyone will say yes. But they still had to wrestle amongst themselves. But we're not supposed to work on a Sabbath. Now, how do you justify fighting or defending yourself if, it, if that's not work? Even if it's about saving lives. So can you see how rigid they are? They have to find something to explain to themselves, to satisfy themselves, so that they can keep the law or make some provisions for the law so that they can continue to work on the Sabbath. There's lots of rabbinic debate, even all the way into the first century, and the interpretations are all varied, depending on how strict the school was or how lenient. And it was only cleared up at the end of the second century when this person called Samuel of Nehadeah, and he used Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, to explain and to justify so he picks up from the law, from Leviticus 18 verse 5, which says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And this teacher, rabbi, then says, Well, you see, it's hidden inside down there. We are supposed to live by the Torah. We are supposed to live by the law. But if a person dies, you, you can't live by the law if you're not alive. Did you get that one? Right? If you're dead, then you can't keep the law. So in other words, the law is, is there for you to keep and to live by so that you're able to keep the law, we have to keep your life. It's a very interesting thing and everyone listens to this and say, yeah, that makes sense. That's a law. And so I'm wondering, man, are you interested in keeping the life or are you interested in keeping the law? So this is how they get around some of these things that's how high they will uphold the Torah, you understand? That they refuse to do anything that would break it. But to be fair, care for the sake and the sanctity of life has always been a Jewish concern, even before the time of Jesus. You know, don't let the, the bad press of Pharisees in the Gospels tar every Pharisee as if, or, or Jewish life as if that they're all bad. It's not. It's not that. It's just this sect that became very, very strict and made things very, very difficult. Well, sadly, as with all legalistic interpretations, uh, lawful became awful. Right? It became very narrow. So even if it's just to save a life, now when can you save a life? What does it mean to save a life? Which life can be saved and, and, and how can you do it? And so it was used to restrict, to accuse, to condemn others. And in this case, now get this, it was used to trap Jesus. Can you see? In trying to be lawful, things become... Awful. In trying to be lawful, people become awful. And they don't realize that. It's very scary. We can try to be lawful and we can end up being awful. And we, we will miss the point because to us it's like, hey, we're, we're doing the right thing, you know. God said, must keep the law. We must obey the word. And so we're doing it to the letter and to the T and all. And we end up being very awful to other people. So is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We still have this big question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus, is it a yes or is it no? Can you just answer straightforwardly? Thank you very much. If Jesus had answered yes, 
then that would violate the law. Well, not, not really. Lah. It would violate their interpretation of the law. And to them, they were the standard. Why? Why would it violate the law? Because a withered hand is not life-threatening. You can wait. I mean, if that was 3 o'clock, Jesus, just wait till 6 p.m. That's fine, three hours more. Why do you have to do anything now, right? So don't heal on the Sabbath. That's not the right idea. And so if you're, you, you interpret this wrongly, Jesus, fail. What kind of rabbi are you? Huh? Follow you? Take your yoke? Come on, you're joking, right? See, so they're trying to trap Jesus to discredit him. Now, if Jesus had answered, no, it is not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then Jesus would have supported their wrong and narrow interpretation. And if he still proceeded to heal, which he did, <laughs> and given his track record, on the Sabbath, that would give them cause to accuse him. So either way, it's a lose-lose for Jesus. Now, how are you going to get out of this one now, Jesus? <laughs> and so the saga continues. And I love these Gospels. I love the wisdom of Jesus. I love the way that He answers. And I, I think we can learn quite a few things from our Master, our Lord, and our King. This next section, I call it the, the rabbinic rhetoric. You know, the rabbis, and the way that they argue with each other and cajole each other and provoke each other. You ask me a question, I can give you some rhetorical statements and questions in return and we can banter so that we can then make our point. And so with rabbinic rhetoric, Jesus proceeds. The first thing we notice is that Jesus sees through their intent. Matthew 12 verse 10 says that they might accuse Him. Now Jesus, is, He doesn't get caught in their intentions, right? He knows. Luke chapter 6, verse 8, but he knew their thoughts. He knew immediately that they were not looking for answers. They were looking for accusations. And here's something we can learn, my dear friends. There are many people who will come to you and ask questions, but they don't want the answers. Have you realized that? Whether they are Christians or non-Christians, the principle remains the same. All they want is a good argument with you. All they want is to show you how much they know the Bible. All they want to do is just to disprove you and confuse you, you know, and make you feel lousy about yourself. Don't put up your hand if you have met someone like that. <laughs> For people like that, sometimes it's good not to engage like, if you don't have to, really. Yeah? Okay? But if you are called to, I think we can learn a thing or two from Jesus. Secondly, Jesus redirects the focus. I mean, this is... This, this is like ingenious, you know. He knows their thoughts. He sees through their intent. And immediately, in Mark chapter 3, he looks at the man, he goes, step forward. So in other words, he shifts the focus. Why? The focus has been all on him. Is it a yes or is it a no? He shifts the focus to this man, step forward. Luke chapter 6 verse 8 says, arise, stand here. And this guy, like, whoa, whoa, hang on, what's happening, man? <laughs> you know, he stands up there. And Jesus says, look, this is the right focus. Quietly, he's just saying, I'm redirecting your focus to this man because I don't want you to forget who and what the Sabbath is for. It's about this guy here with the withered hand. It's not for theological discussions and debates. Don't miss the point. And so he sets up the Pharisees whilst the Pharisees were trying to set him up. And he points it back to this man and says, this is the right focus. You know, we learn in public relations, you know, when press asks you a question, right, and you don't want to answer that question, what do you do? 
you ask your own question and give your own answers. You redirect the focus and they have to hear what you have to say. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He redirects the focus and he immediately regains the initiative. And in this time, he does not appeal to Scripture. Do you remember the last passage? He says, have you not read the Scriptures? Don't you know your law? He's already done that. And obviously, these guys are not listening at all. So you can appeal to Scripture all you want. All you have is another Bible study argument. So he does not appeal to Scripture. He doesn't look at the law this time. But instead, he directs this at the accusers. And he uses a rabbinic style, a rabbinic argument of what we call the lesser to the greater. And he says to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on a Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it up? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? He looks at the Pharisees and he asks them this question. What would you do? What about you? I mean, if you are able to do something like that. Now, let's understand this sheep falling into a pit. Now, you must be wondering, how come there are pits all over the place that a sheep should fall into? Now, the pit that Jesus was referring to was for the trapping of more predatory animals like wolves. And if a sheep falls in into one of these traps, it's not life-threatening. And yet, this might be a common thing that sheep always falling into pits. Sheep, like you know, quite dumb, huh? And so they walk, 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 oops, fall into a pit. Must have been a very, very common example, right? And he must have known that the Pharisees and scribes themselves, if they have sheep, and they probably did, they probably would have had a sheep fall into one of these pits on the Sabbath, and to them, it's okay to pick the sheep up. According to their own law, they can do it. Other things cannot do, but this one can do. And so if it's true for the lesser, that means if a sheep is precious to you and it's not life-threatening and you save the sheep out of that pit, how much more value then is a man? How much more value is this one person worth? If you do it for a sheep, then you will do it for a man. It's like, hello? I mean, you know this for yourself, right? And so he asks the question, and then now he goes on and he says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He asks the question and then he provides the answer. But I like the parallel passages of Luke. You have one little insertion that is there before he gives the answer. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Instead of giving the answer immediately, Luke chapter 6, verses 8 and 9 records this. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Or to save life or to destroy? So instead of just answering the question, is it lawful to heal? He now expands that question and he moves from a parameter, in other words, like what I can or what I cannot do, into a principle. To heal, now he asks, is it lawful to do good? Is it lawful to save a life? You are worried about doing work. I'm asking you, don't do work, do good. Don't just be so hung up on this one thing. Can I work or can I not work on the Sabbath? Jesus expands the entire principle through this questioning. Is it okay to do good more than just 
worry about whether is it to do work. See, to the Pharisees, to do work on the Sabbath amounts to sin. To them, if it's sin, then it must be evil. But to Jesus, doing good is the focus, not doing work. And in case they did not realize this, and I, I love this rabbinic rhetoric, right? The way you interpret things, right? It's not quite as obvious how Jesus would tie in the not doing work to doing evil. Now, some of us will listen to this guy. Huh? What are you talking about? Like I said, it's not quite as obvious that if you do not do good, you're actually doing evil. If it's within the power for you to do good and you withhold from doing good because you're able to, then you're doing evil. So to not act for the good of a life or a person means that you're actually destroying it without even realizing that you're actually doing something like that. Now, if you want a scripture for this, I'll give this to you. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So don't you love the way Jesus was looking at Scripture and interpreting it from a point of the Spirit of the Lord to say, come on, my dear friends. It's always good to do good. <laughs> it's always lawful to do good. And even if it's on a Sabbath, it is good to do good. It's lawful for you to do good. And at that point, Jesus demonstrates the principle. He looks at the man, he says to the man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. And I believe the message is so much stronger here to say, my dear friends, my dear Pharisees, if you're still missing the point, if you still don't get it, can I show this to you? Okay? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't want you to do all your Sabbath worship, come and attend your service, get all your sound and lights correct. Technically, everything is just so beautiful. And when you have a chance to show mercy, you don't. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I see this person who has been struggling for how many years or how, many, how long, I don't know how, what the period is, but Jesus has mercy on this man. Why does he have to suffer for one more day just so that tradition and religiosity can be kept? So if you don't understand this, I'm healing this man. And then he says, stretch out your hand. The second thing he demonstrates is, again, the spirit of the Sabbath. Jesus says, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. Why? Because Sabbath is about rest. Sabbath is about redemption. It's about a reset. And in doing so, the man would have entered into a different rest. Isn't it so? He struggled with just one hand only for a while. Now suddenly he's got two hands and he's able to use it. That would have been rest. Would it be redemption in that he was set free from this illness or this sickness or whatever this disease might have been? It would have been a reset for this guy also because what he couldn't do, now he can do. He can start afresh. And the principle of Sabbath was demonstrated through that one act. And I love the symbolic significance of also the withered hand. Now, many times when we say to do work, we will say to, to use your hands, right? 
And so a withered hand might be the concept of work that has withered or has gone sick or has been diseased, that the way we look at work or work has just done things to us. A withered hand cannot work anymore, but a restored hand can work. And I believe symbolically this whole teaching or this whole episode is about Jesus restoring good and rightful work on the Sabbath. That work was being restored, symbolically even in that hand. And for that man, when he's able to work right now, perhaps being healed on the Sabbath will remind him. Now, I don't know how he got that hand, right? When it's all withered and he cannot move. And today we have like a, either a, a cramp or a couple tunnel syndrome because we use the computer and the mouse too much. And our hands becomes withered, something like that. Yeah? Yes? Okay. It's because we don't know how to rest. Huh? We don't know how to give it the, the rest that the hand needs. And perhaps the man being healed on the Sabbath will remember, I must not forget to rest from this point. He worked too hard. Maybe something happened to him. I don't know. Don't work until your hand gets cramped and paralyzed again. You better learn your lesson. See, Jesus demonstrates the principle. And in doing so, not just to rebut the Pharisees, he also at the same time proves that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, he declared, right at the end, he concluded that episode by saying this, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now you realize something, right? This guy with a withered hand, imagine if, if your, your hand is paralyzed and someone says to you, stretch out your hand. Can you do anything? You can't. You just can't stretch out your hand because it's, excuse me, Jesus, it's paralyzed. Are you, I, that's why I can't stretch it out. So the man could not have stretched forth his hand, listen to this, if God did not first stretch forth his. The man could not have stretched forth his hand if God did not first stretch forth his. You see, in a Jewish mind, only God can heal. And since it's a Sabbath, God will never do it. Or would he? Jesus shows the right principle of the Sabbath. God works on the Sabbath because He desires mercy, not sacrifice. God works on the Sabbath because He will do good, even on the Sabbath. God works on the Sabbath because He's always about bringing rest, redemption, and reset to people. And when Jesus said, stretch forth your hand, God worked. And then Jesus makes the link. I give you a reminder in the previous teaching. He says, do you know in this place, don't you know, in this place, there is one that's greater than the temple. And if you talk about someone greater than the temple, obviously he's greater than this synagogue that we're in right now. Jesus instituted the temple and he gave the law because Jesus is God. And so in commanding this healing, Jesus shows forth himself that he is God. And if he is God, then he is also the creator who gives life. And Sabbath is about life. And if he's also the creator, then in that creation account, the Sabbath was given. And the creator is therefore the Lord of the Sabbath. See, in just one episode, Jesus does so many things. He stands on the messianic claim, son of man, as he declares healing and also to show himself as equal to God. See, there's so many things that we can learn from this little episode to see how Jesus deals with those 
who were opposing him. But I don't want you to miss this point. As we look at Jesus, of course, we can say, yes, you know, I understand the spirit of the Sabbath. I understand the law. I'll never do that. We'll look at this also and look at the Pharisees and say, well, we'll, we'll never miss the point. Like. We are all not like the Pharisees. Don't be so quick huh, to answer that. And don't be so quick to think we're all not like the Pharisees. And so is it good to be lawful? We'll say yes. But you see, what makes lawful awful? Lawful becomes awful when legalism steps in. When you become so hung up on trying to fulfill this law, you become so legalistic that you don't realize that you have missed the point and you have missed the spirit of the law. And I don't know if you would identify with myself. And there have been times I think I might have been legalistic. I might have drawn certain boundaries in the way that I interpreted things, you know. And all good intention, you know. All good intention and we make mistakes along the way. And it's so insidious, you don't even realize that something like that might be happening. Legalism is awful. It makes lawful awful, I can tell you, okay? I think we all agree being lawful is what we all want to be. But lawful becomes awful when we become legalistic. Two quick points down here. Why is legalism awful? Firstly, legalism destroys us. It destroys us, ourselves. We don't realize it. It eats you up from the inside. It'll kill you. Do you realize it? When you read this account, Jesus, in answering the questions, in giving that rabbinic rhetoric, He actually gave the Pharisees and the scribes an opportunity to respond. When He asked all these things, wouldn't any one of you do this? And how much more this? Is it lawful? To do good, he asked all these questions and he paused. Now, how do I know he paused? How do I know he gave them an opportunity to answer? He didn't just blurt out the answer just like that. Because you see in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, it's recorded for us, but they kept silent. In their hearts, they refused to see the point. They refused to accept the point. Why? They don't want to say anything. They only want to prove their point. And Mark chapter 3, verse 5 then goes on, and when he had looked around at them with anger, wow, is it okay to be angry? Well, if you're Jesus, you'll know how to get angry, right? It's okay to be, get angry. The problem is we don't know how to get angry. When you get angry, things go crazy. But when Jesus looked around at them with anger, now listen to the next line, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, then he said to the men, stretch out your hand. I don't want you to have a wrong impression to think, wow, Jesus, now you very mean, you know. Huh? You're trying to prove them wrong and make them look bad. Jesus did not heal out of a spirit of rebellion or insubordination. He did not do that. If He had done that in that way, I think it would have nullified whatever good He did. Right? It does not justify Him acting in that way to be rebellious or to be insubordinate. He did not heal out of that. He waited for them. He gave them an opportunity to respond and say, come on, give me the answer. I'm, I'm sure you know the answer. I know you, I know you know what I'm trying to get at at you. Can you please get the point? Don't miss the point. And then they kept quiet. Don't want to say. How many of you have children like that? 
Right? You ask them, do you know why you're wrong? Don't want to say anything. Do you know why daddy scold you? Do you know why mom? Don't want to say anything. Right? And they were like that. And Jesus got angry and it was out of righteous anger and deep grief over the hardness of their hearts. See, legalism does this to us. Your hearts will get hardened because you keep protecting yourself. You always have to be right. No one else can be right. It's only your interpretation and that, and it's only how good you are and how bad everyone else is. And I believe Jesus might be in that last resort to say, maybe if they see a man set free from physical bondage, maybe that will soften their hearts. Maybe that will change their position. Maybe it will give glory to God. No. See, legalism kills us. That's what a judgmental spirit can do to us. And when our hearts get hardened, it becomes cold. Now, how do you understand mercy when hearts are cold? How can you see the point if you're blinded by pride? Legalism kills us. And that's when lawful becomes awful. The second thing is legalism kills and destroys others. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. I don't want you to miss the irony, you know. It's on the Sabbath, right? Jesus says you can save life, right? But instead of saving life, they were thinking of how to destroy a life. Luke chapter 6, verse 11. But they were filled with rage. Loose face one, angry one. They were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, don't miss this again. Jesus responded with righteous anger. The Pharisees responded with resentful and revengeful anger. See, a legalistic, self-righteous person would always seek to discredit the other. And if you can't do that, you're ready to remove this other person. If not, you're waiting to tear this person down, destroy this person, and if you can't do it, you will kill this person. Legalism is awful. Legalism makes lawful awful. I want you to reflect on this and I want to reflect on this myself. That we don't want to miss the point. We don't want to miss the spirit of the law. Is it good to be lawful, I asked you? Yes. But what if in being lawful, you become awful? Do you now have the answer to the next question? Is it then lawful to be lawful if it's awful? Paul the Pharisee was very lawful. But he was also very awful. Do you remember? Saul the Pharisee, very lawful, but also very awful. He was the best of the best. In his own heart, the Bible records that he was zealous to keep the law blameless. If anyone kept the law correctly, he would have done it 9.9 out of 10. 
but he was zealous in the wrong ways. He was lawful, but man, was he awful. But he didn't realize that. He was one of the Pharisees putting on a burden of all these people and he destroyed others. And when people like Stephen and the disciples were worshipping Jesus, he thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting them. All good intentions, huh? And that's why later on he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I persecuted the people of God. He totally missed the point. And you know when he finally realized it? He had a personal encounter with Jesus. The real lawgiver and the Lord of the Sabbath. Paul the Pharisee that day and after that experienced mercy and redemption. That's why he could preach it so well. He was trying to keep the law. He was doing as best as he could. But when he met Jesus, he entered into true rest. And that day onward, he had an entire reset button pressed by Jesus. And he starts all over again. And for him, it's no longer about keeping the one-day Sabbath religiously. For him, every day is Sabbath in Christ. And rightful work was restored in his life and he worked with a different focus. Now, how would he do this? How did he do that? By the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because when he records this in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 6, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I know Paul was actually referring to the life that you live, the things that you focus on. But if you apply this to the lesson that we are talking about this evening, do you realize the flesh will always want to be right for myself, but the spirit will want what is right for others. Can I say that once more? The flesh wants to be right for himself, but the spirit will want what is right for others. That's a whole difference here, you see. Because in legalism, you always have to be right. You're always better. And you're always telling someone, you've got to come out to my mark, come out to my mark, come out to my mark. And then when you can't do it, you don't tell them. And that's why you are a hypocrite. But in the spirit, it's not about wanting to be right. It's one thing what is right for the other person. The focus is not on you now. It's to help someone else be right. To love someone to give life to someone, not to kill the other person. So once again, my friends, are you lawful or are you awful? What's the use of keeping the law but killing yourself and everyone around you? So as we close this, maybe we ask a good question. How do you know when you have become legalistic? The reminder is this. When your heart has become hardened, you're proud, and what's the indicator? You find yourself, you're not willing to listen, you're not willing to learn anymore, and you're not willing to love. When you start to see, and God's going to prompt that to you, and someone else, your brothers and sisters might help you. When you start to destroy and to kill others, with what? With your rules, with your restrictions, and with your religiosity. So dear friends, don't miss the Spirit of the law which brings life. Don't be like the, the Pharisees and the scribes who, who missed the, 
the more important matters, the weightier matters, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And my last word for you is this. As we look at what not to learn from the Pharisees and how not to learn from the Pharisees and who not to learn from, let me remind you, learn from Jesus. Take His yoke upon you because His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Learn from the Master. How do we do good and how do we save lives? Don't let lawful become awful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for showing us what it means to interpret the law with the Holy Spirit and understanding the heart of what the law is all about. Lord, we come before you this evening asking you to forgive us because I'm sure at some point we may have placed a burden on someone else. And maybe it's because someone had placed a burden on us and we just feel and think that might be the right way to place a burden on another person. Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Will you release us from whatever has been placed upon us so that we can enter your rest because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And as you release us from that burden, Lord, we release others also so that together we can all live this life that we have in you, in Christ, by your Holy Spirit. And so help us, Lord, so that as we move out, we can always do good, we can always save lives, and we'll not get trapped in any legalistic understanding of what the law is. Help us to love, help us to live according to how you would have us live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.